This is the second episode about healing from abortion. If you haven't listened to the first one, go back. I'm serious. I'll wait. Okay. And just like part one, this one isn't for the kiddos. And I just want to make something super clear here, that the witness you'll hear from today has discerned to share her story in this public way that is not in any way expected by anyone. Some people share anonymously, and some people share with those they're close to or at smaller healing events. So y'all know you do not have to be on a podcast. Sometimes I describe Project Rachel as a continuation of Jesus's healing mission, because that's really what it is. It's really just the church doing what the church does best, which is bring people to, to Jesus or bring Jesus to them, however you want to say it. What I discovered on that retreat was I'm not the only one. And the beauty of God's forgiveness and, you know, I left there really not attached to my sins that I had stuffed down. After doing so much healing ministry with post-abortion and having heard hundreds of stories, maybe thousands of stories, I'm so convinced that the Lord wants all those who have ever lost a child in this way to know that there is possibility and he desires the reunion of the child and their parents. This is Made for Love, a Catholic podcast about real people living out the call to love. I'm your host, Sarah Perla. When last we left our heroine, Andy, she had finally called Project Rachel with an open heart. So I called back a year later and went on the retreat, which was tremendous because it really dug deep down into the depths of my soul. There was a lot of baggage and things stuffed down there that had to be brought out. And it was scary because I knew that I had to lay everything out on the table and I have to be honest. At the retreat, Andy learned without a doubt that she was not the only person who struggled with her past abortions and that God's forgiveness is real. I got to grieve. You know, when you have these abortions, you don't grieve. I mean, these are my children. I had the opportunity to grieve my children, to give them their names. They were somebody. So there was all these components that really helped me so much. So that, I would say, was the biggest step I took. It is continuing. Finding forgiveness and healing helped Andy to get past the shame of having those abortions. She decided to tell her family the truth. That included telling her children. Yes, part of Andy's story includes getting married and having two children. Especially when I had my son, my first child, when I actually had given birth. Wow, there were so many feelings that came forward. I was sad. I would look at him and I would say, what did I do? You know, my first child was a son too, and I would see him and it was just so perfect and beautiful. And um, it was really hard. And on the flip side, I couldn't put him down. He had to be with me all the time. It was just like... I love him so much. I mean, I can't explain the overwhelming love I have for my children. 
Andy thought it was important that her children knew about her other children. That came at different times when I felt it was appropriate, their age. And I prayed about it. I prayed really hard because this was something that could affect them tremendously. It could affect them negatively, and I didn't want to hurt them. God, is this what you want me to do? Not what I want to do, but is it what you want me to do? So I prayed very, very hard about that. And my children were the most difficult to tell. I think when they reached like ninth grade, I would take them somewhere and sit and talk to them and explain everything to them. And um, I was met with love and forgiveness from both my children. Andy's daughter has developed a passion for pro-life work. She got so involved in the pro-life community and in pro-life work. And we said to her, don't do it because of me. You do it because this is something you're called to or because something that from your heart you want to do. One of the lingering effects of abortion for Andy is fear, related to feeling unworthy of having two wonderful, healthy children. I think the devil... (laughs) When he rears his ugly head, he always likes to put in my brain that something's going to happen to them. It's difficult because I've come to be such a mother hen sometimes. It's like I'm constantly telling you, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Because I want to be sure they're safe. I don't want anything to happen to them. And I pray so hard for that. And I think you have to trust God. (laughs) Give them to God. He'll take care of them. No matter what happens, it's, it's him. This is something that Mary McCluskey, with her experience with Project Rachel Ministry, knows something about. Satan tells so many lies to women, to men, to anyone who's been involved in abortion at any level. And the lie is, how dare you? How dare you? You know, you're unlovable. You're the worst. And that's actually the opposite. That Jesus came for sinners. He loves us. I mean, he died on the cross for us. You know, what greater love can there be than that? This goes for all of us, y'all, not just women who have had abortions. The devil is not a fan of healing. Healing is God's work. So if the devil can sabotage it, he will try hard to do so. The ministry also offers prayer support for people. This is crucial to not only the um, spiritual life of the team, but also the personal spiritual life of the participants who get help from the ministry. So they receive prayers from the ministry team and also from the prayer network of support that the diocese is coordinating. And as you heard in part one, the prayer of Andy's mother and sister was undoubtedly a factor in her reversion. Those women prayed Andy into that church and prayed that priest into walking in right at that time. If we could see what prayer does, at least this is what Peter Kreef says, and I suspect he's right, we wouldn't even be able to get off our knees. And Maria, Andy's sister, knows it's true. It strengthened my faith because God never abandoned Andrea, even during the darkest time. Truly, she was in a dark, dark place, and only the power of God could save her. His mercy brought her through this journey to a place 
where she is really a child of God. Um, and I would say a servant who tirelessly works for the unborn. Okay, let's go back to the retreat with Andy. Actually, my very first retreat, they do a living scripture reading, and it was one where uh, you had to close your eyes and you envisioned you were walking through a dark place first, and then you came across a beautiful field. The field full of flowers, and you could hear the children playing in the background. And as you come up upon the children, recognize them. So in that, it was so real at that moment when I came upon my children. They were so real. I mean, I I did know them instantly when I saw them. It was like, wow, you know, it was beautiful. And it was more real than the other living scriptures that I did. This experience was seven years ago, but it is as vivid for Andy now as it was then. God was really doing something there. After much prayer and discernment with the ministry team, Andy started volunteering to help on retreats. I've got to sit on the other end this time and see the women come in who are broken, and you see it on their face. And towards the end of the tree, you just see this blossom. It's like a flower that's closed up, and it opens up, and their faces just change. And it's, it's beautiful. And Wow, it's just an incredible experience for me to do that. And I love the ministry. And there was someone else who always felt called to help with post-abortion retreats. My name is Michael Corsini. I'm a husband and father of five little ones under the age of eight. I am also an artist and musician. Michael got involved when he was discerning as a friar. Initially, I got involved with post-abortion retreats as a friar. I was a member of the Franciscans of the Renewal for about four and a half years in discernment and early formation. And it was really at that time that it was placed really on my radar that there was such a thing as healing from abortion. We were on all sides of that issue in terms of going to the March for Life and also going down the clinics and praying and and trying to do sidewalk counseling. But what I really fell in love with was the retreat work because it really gave space and intention to the healing process. I've been involved with this work for, gosh, I think 15 years now, doing five to a dozen retreats a year, probably. My part in the retreats mostly is is musical support. The music we find is a a really important part of the retreat. It kind of opens the heart to receive God's word, God's healing action. So about a year and a half ago, Andy just couldn't get the image from the retreat out of her mind. It was dogging her footsteps. A year and a half ago, this thought kept coming back to me again with this children and these flowers. And it just wouldn't go away. And it just kept playing on my mind and my heart. And I was like praying. It's like, what? You know? And I thought, oh, a painting. Maybe a painting. Painting could help other people. There's a lot of uh, sensory is big in, in healing. A painting. Okay. I was like, who am I going to get to do this painting? <laughs> because the person that does it really has to understand the whole thing. It has to understand the story. Andy and I met at a retreat kind of briefly, and I think I had mentioned to her at that time that I was an artist, but 
she had not seen any of my work. And at some point, she, she did see some samples and she called me. God used Facebook, of all things, to connect Andy to Michael. She described to him what she'd seen and asked if he would take the commission. And I remember when she was describing uh, the image that there was a kind of a sensation inside me even, you know, where I just, I felt really compelled by it. I really felt that I could almost see it immediately. When the Holy Spirit arranges something like this, it's pretty hard to say no. But that's a pretty epic request and it's not something you get every day. I didn't do well with that pressure at first, to be quite honest, you know. I didn't want to fail her. I didn't want to fail the, the Lord in, in this pursuit. And the one thing that came to me actually quite quickly as I began the process, even as the, the first uh, brushes of paint went on the canvas, was I began to ask for the intercession of the children, specifically her three children. And I think, I know that that was it, you know. That was where the honesty of it came out for me. That was where I was able to kind of take a deep breath and relax and let the painting just become what it was going to be. And Michael had early confirmation that he was on the right track. When he did the original sketch, um, when I asked him, and he said, you know, he wanted to do this, and he prayed about it, and then I described what I saw, not anybody what they look like, Right. Like I just said, my daughter was the youngest. She had long, dark hair. She was beautiful. That was my description of her. So when he sent the sketch, that looks exactly like my daughter that's living at that age. That's so weird. I'm going to post the finished painting on the show notes. It's really beautiful. And Michael did some interesting things in it. What you see is a young woman sitting in a field of flowers with three children on the right. The youngest, a girl, is touching the woman's face with her right hand and holding a bouquet of flowers out for her in her left. There's a famous sculpture, maybe it's not so famous, but the sculptor himself is famous, Rodin. You know, he's famous for sculpting the, uh, the thinker. You've seen him before, I'm sure. And he had a sculpture of two hands. So you can imagine two hands facing each other, open with their fingers spread, one a man's hand, a little slightly larger, and the female hand slightly smaller and inside, inside, not quite touching, fingertips. And Rodin himself called that sculpture the gift. His idea, I think, was to show that it's in the space of openness between the, the man and the woman, so that when they open themselves up to each other, in that place is where the gift is given, the gift of themselves given to each other. And I love that idea, and so I tried to express that at least a little bit in the arms and in the gesture of the of the girl and their mother reaching in, this, in the space of the gift is this flowers, which symbolize reunion, uh, forgiveness, the mercy, the overabundant gift of God that's actually being given to the mother through the child, and the child is actually lifting the mother's face. It's hard to see in the prints, less so in the actual painting, but there's a dead branch lying on the ground. Below the mother's leg is a a dead branch sort of laying in the tall grass, and from the dead branch is springing these three little white cherry blossoms. The idea of that was, you know, that from death through God, there can be new life. 
can be a newness. Not just a resurrection, but something utterly new is happening. And I thought it was beautiful to symbolize those three little blossoms as a symbol of the three children. And the young woman is beautiful. You see her from the side, but you can imagine her face reflected in the little girl's face. The main idea with the mother was to try to show a restoration of her beauty. There's a tendency in the retreats that I've worked on and the the women that I've known through this ministry to feel a complete and utter loss of not just their motherhood, but of their femininity, of their womanhood. And my hope was to show the restoration of that beauty. Michael sees this painting and his music during retreats as a way to communicate how much God desires our healing. After doing so much healing ministry with post-abortion and having heard hundreds of stories, maybe thousands of stories, I'm so convinced that the Lord wants all those who have ever lost a child in this way to know that there is possibility and He desires the reunion of the child and their parents. As Christians, of course, we believe that death is not the end. We have hope that we will see our loved ones again. We can still communicate with them because they still exist. And it's my hope that women at Project Rachel or Rachel's Vineyard or any other post-abortion retreat or anyone who's ever suffered the loss would hopefully see this image and know that it's possible to have a relationship even now with the children that we've lost. So I don't know how heaven works. In fact, I was just talking to some people about this the other day. Is St. Thomas Aquinas right that we will all be 33 in heaven? And how does that work if you died as a baby? So many questions. But we don't have to know how it works. Now, I shouldn't have to say this, but I will. God does not always work this way. This whole healing-turned-painting thing is an extraordinary experience. Not everyone who experiences healing gets a painting or even a feeling of emotional connection to their children. That's a gift. And it's just not always given. And that's part of God's wisdom in instituting the sacraments, because they're objective. You walk into confession sincerely with contrition and confess, and you come out forgiven, period. And you can know that with confidence, regardless of how it feels or a lack of a painting. I asked Andy what she would say to a woman who has had an abortion and has not yet sought forgiveness and healing. I would highly encourage them to do it. I would encourage them to really pray, too, because God's going to lead them there. But I would highly encourage, you know, I wish I would have done it a lot sooner. But I probably wasn't ready at that time. But, um, you know, in God's time, and, and don't be afraid. The first step is a big step, and it is scary. But after that first step, the doors are open, and it's amazing. And Mary McCluskey has an important reminder for people who are pro-life speakers or who otherwise have occasion to speak about abortion. To always remember that someone who had abortion can be listening and to be sensitive and kind and compassionate and remembering that mercy of God and let that attitude inform how you speak. 
Um, and also to always be saying that healing is possible, that forgiveness and hope is possible. So if you have lost a child to abortion, consider reaching out to Project Rachel. There's lots of different ways people can learn about Project Rachel. Um, One of the most common ways are advertisements in the bulletin. So people still read that church bulletin. They really do. So the USCCB hosts a national website called hopeafterabortion.org. This website is meant as a backup to the local diocesan efforts to raise awareness about the ministry and to do outreach to people. There's a find help map that actually lists every diocesan ministry. So that's one way. Once again, that website is hopeafterabortion.org. And if that's not you, well, it may be someone you know. You may know someone who's suffering from a, a previous abortion, or if someone comes to you and tells you of their abortion for the first time, or just tells you of their abortion, you may be the first person that they're telling their story to. And it's really important just to be a listening ear. That's such a gift that they're giving you, that they trust you enough to share this with you. And it's a real opportunity to, to be that witness to God's mercy, to adopt the attitude of Christ, that attitude of listening with compassion and mercy. If you feel called to help out with Project Rachel, get in touch with the diocesan coordinator. Their name is probably on your diocese's website, and they may put you to work doing outreach and awareness. For example, one of the things that helps is putting tear-off flyers into bathroom stalls. Efforts to reach out to people are most successful when it's done in a way that they're most comfortable taking information. So a really popular method of outreach is bathroom tear-off flyers. So people can take the contact information in a private way where no one's going to see them. And if Andy's story hasn't been enough to move you to at least praying for those who need healing from abortion, here's a little story from Mary. Mary was a member of a Crossroads pro-life pilgrimage. Crossroads does annual walks across the country in the hope of converting hearts and minds about the sanctity and dignity of every human life. They stopped to eat somewhere, as you do, and a woman approached Mary, asking her what the group was doing. I told her what we were doing was a pro-life walk, and she shared about her two prior abortions. And it really struck me because, number one, I was 18 years old, and I never heard someone disclose their abortion to me. But I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, who's ever going to love me again? Which was so sad to me because God loves her so much more that she could even appreciate or understand at that time. And that's why I think this is such a beautiful ministry. We love you, girl. Truly. To finish these episodes off, we're going to pray. Andy's sister, Maria, will read a prayer that Andy wrote that is her speaking to the children that she lost. May no other children be lost to abortion. No other women or men left empty. In all the politics of abortion, this is what it's really about. The moment I saw you, I knew the children whose lives were taken too soon. As their hearts embrace, my sorrow and pain transform into love and grace. 
I always held you in my heart. Now that I have met you, we are no longer apart. You gently whisper, we forgive you, and give a gift of life anew. Resources and the painting are available at the blog at marriageuniqueforareason.org. If you like what you've heard today, please support this project by sharing it with your friends, subscribing to Made for Love on iTunes, writing a review, or commenting on the show notes at marriageuniqueforareason.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter and all those things. This is essentially a one-woman production, so yours truly did everything, except for the theme music, which is composed and produced by Michael Taylor. And then the new music is from FirstCom.